Hi, I'm Taylor Bybee from Coaster Studios, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, I'm Tracy Lystra with Saving Huey Foundation, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Schaefer from Upstop Media, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Fernie. And Dee. From Kidult TV, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, I'm Brad Rex, the former vice president for Disney's Epcot theme park, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Hi there, I'm Lee Cockrell. I'm the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World, and Mickey Mouse was my boss. And you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Walt Disney World is a tribute to the philosophy and the life of Walter Elias Disney, and to the talents, the dedication, and the loyalty of the entire Disney organization that made Walt Disney's dream come true. May Walt Disney World bring joy and inspiration and new knowledge to all who come to this happy place, a magic kingdom where the young at heart of all ages can laugh and play and learn together. Dedicated this 25th day of October, 1971. I accept the Coaster Challenge. 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 Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? What is the Coaster Challenge? A group of regular people that went from fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses. It's time to take the Coaster Challenge. Here are your hosts, David Cantu and Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, Jenna? Good, Dave. How's it going? It's going good, going good. Welcome back. What a way to come back right before our season finale. You know, with everything going on out there, you have to take precautions. Well, it's great to have you back, and what a way to basically kick off our our season finale here on the Coaster Challenge podcast. It's been an incredible season, huh? Very much so. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of changes. I will tell you that I've really... I just got to say, I am just blown away by just all the guests that we've had on this first season. I will tell you guys, uh, just like uh, last week, to kick off the month of March and to kick off our season finale, we've really got one incredible guest last week. We had the one and only Brad Rex, the former vice president of Walt Disney World's Epcot. We've got a very, very special treat for all you guys here today. It's a great honor because... um, We've got a former Walt Disney World vice president, you know, of operations. We got the Lee Cockwell right here on on the show today with Andrew and Iva. Isn't that amazing? As it's beyond words, like seeing all these high administrators coming towards our podcast and just being able to interview them and hearing their backstories and where they started. It's amazing what you learn. Yeah, and Lee has got one heck of a career story for everybody out there today. You know, we we all had an opportunity to sit down with Lee recently and even back in uh, when the, podca- uh, the podcasting was out in Florida, I mean, we had an opportunity, Andrew, Iva and I had an opportunity to sit down and have breakfast with Lee and 
just really amazing guy, really down to earth. And, you know, he's definitely a true underdog story here. Like you mentioned when we were off the air, Jen, I go, he is somebody who started from the ground and worked his way up. I I would say more than ground. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he came from nothingness and has made himself into something. Yeah, and all because he just had a can-do attitude, very positive attitude. I mean, Lee has got, his leadership philosophy is just truly outstanding. It's something that I myself, when I was in high school, I was in the, the business academy and and I was part of Leadership Burbank here in our local community. What Lee has philosophy about leadership it's just truly amazing. He also, you know, now that he's retired, he he travels all around the world and he gives uh, incredible speeches about how to be a great leader and what does it take to be able to move up in the world, especially if you don't have a college degree. I mean, let's face it, folks. There's a lot of people, especially in our country, there's people out there that don't have a college degree, but they don't have the luxury of going to college. Lee really shows that even without a college degree, you could still move up in the world. Right. I mean, his story, he's kind of the jack of all trades but a master of none yeah like that's what his story reminds me of he can do anything he can learn anything but he is not a master of anything too yeah it's just a you guys this is andrew and iva just are here with lee today lee's here in the house and he's got quite a story to share with all of you today we want here at the podcast want to share with you guys some uh really awesome clip of lee when he was uh speaking at the uh happy conference many years ago and he had just just gave out this incredible philosophy of leadership. So take a listen. Uh, Lee ran this and Lee ran that. And I tell people the truth since I retired. I didn't know what was going on half the time. And I was the boss. And frankly, most bosses don't know what's going on. And you know that. (laughs) Right? Because you can't. The world is too complex. There's too much going on. And the first lesson I'll tell you this morning is, you don't need to know everything that's going on. You need to decide where you're gonna spend your time and how you're gonna make a difference. And then you need to surround yourself by experts in IT, finance, human resources, strategy, marketing, sales. It takes real expertise today. And one person cannot be an expert in everything. What you're trying to do is make sure that everybody in your business matters and they know they matter. You think it's important to know you matter in life? Does anybody think it's important to know you matter? It's the number one thing people want in the world is to know they matter, that they're respected, that they are somebody. And the number one way you make sure people know they matter? Tell them. Simple thing, use your lips, not text them not send them an email, not write it in the sky, tell them, I can go in there and make it better or I can go in there and make it worse. And you have to decide. So you gotta think, I'm going to walk in now and I'm the leader, I'm responsible, I have to behave myself, I have to create a culture where everybody feels good about themselves, I have to pay attention to every person, because that's what leaders do. It's like paying attention to each of your children, not just one or two. And make it, when you go in, the culture gets better. Over time, it gets better and better and better and better. Remember, everyone is important. So how do you know that? How do you send that message to your people? 
Number one, get to know all of your employees better. Get to know their aspirations. Get to know what they're trying to achieve. Get to know their family. Get to know more about them every time you come in contact with them. Get to make sure you know their first and last name. Break the mold. Got to be better every day. How are you going to be better this time next year? How? The only way you're going to get better, you got to really talk to your customers and you got to talk to your employees. And they will help you and it's for free. And once they trust you, they'll tell you the truth. And when they tell you the truth, you can make the right decisions. Because if you don't know the truth, we'll talk about that in a minute. You can't do it. See yourself as a teacher, not as the boss. When you start teaching, that's one of my theories in life. First learn it, then do it, and then teach it. Learn something, then start doing it to get experience, and then teach it. Learning's good. You go to college, great, you learn. Now you got to go do it, experience. And then you need to teach others. Because the main job of a leader is to create more leaders. Second thing we're looking for is a can-do attitude, not a can't-do attitude. Do you know anybody in your life that has a can't-do attitude? It's never their fault. They always have an excuse for everything. And the can-do people who have no excuses, they get it done because they're wired that way. Get people to feel so comfortable they know you will not bite them when they tell you something you do not want to hear. And by the way, they know. The person cleaning the bathroom knows more about cleaning the bathroom than you'll ever know in your whole life. They know how long it takes. Maybe it takes 12 minutes, but they take 30 minutes. It's a little easier. Make sure you know, because when you know, you can set the standards. When you know, you get better advice. Appreciation, recognition, and encouragement. This is the fuel that drives human performance. Make sure you're giving it out every day to people who deserve it, and not most of the people in your business deserve it, and if they don't deserve it, you should get rid of them. If you want to be a great leader, a great parent, be careful what you say and do, because they're watching, and they're getting their lead from you. Be careful what you say. Be careful about inappropriate comments. Be careful what you do. Be careful about the jokes. Be careful about how you treat people. Be careful what you say and do. Your reputation's on the line every day. And what you teach your employees, they teach the new employees, and your behavior teaches the new employees, and your role modeling teaches the new employees, and they teach the next group, and you will even improve their families by teaching them the right things at work will improve their family life. And you really gotta think about, are you gonna go out in the world now? Are you gonna go out and leave a legacy with your family, with your employees, with your country? with your community, with your place of worship? Are you going to leave a legacy? Or are you just going to be one of these people that had a job, didn't do anything, and nobody even cares? Try to go leave a legacy. You can do it. I hope this was helpful to you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Hello, Coaster Challenge listeners. This is Andrew. And Iva. The co-producers of the podcast. For today's episode, we are going to learn from our very special guest how he has spread his intuition through the Disney organization by creating his own magic. Please welcome to the podcast, Lee Cockrell. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you, Lee. Good to have you. So, Lee, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience working within the theme park industry? Yeah, well, I just kind of fell into it. Give you a little background. I grew up in Oklahoma on a farm. 
that was scary enough. We had a dairy farm. We were very poor. We didn't even have no indoor plumbing. We had, I mean, and I tell my grandkids that they think I'm lying. And when you're a kid, you know, uh, that's the way it is. Uh, nothing bothers kids if you don't know any different. And we had fun, my brother and I. My mother, on the other hand, was uh, not happy. She was married five times. She was kind of busy. I've been adopted twice. I got my name Cockrell when I was 16 by husband number four. And I always tell people and I'm totally normal. <laughs> that may scare you. Yeah. And uh, my mother cared about us and I know, but she had lots of issues and grew up in a dysfunctional family herself. And my brother and I did okay, but I, husband number four had money. She started making better choices. So I got to go to college. I went to Oklahoma state for two years and I only had one problem. I forgot to go to class. So I promptly flunked out when it went in the army in 1964. When I got out of the army, eventually I, um, met a guy there and he said, you want to go to Washington, D.C. with me? And I said, yeah, sure. He said, I'll get you a job at the Washington Hilton. It's opening in two weeks. And that was 19, it was going to open March 15, 1965. So we headed, uh, to, I'd never been out of Oklahoma in my whole life. I was 20, never been anywhere. I mean, nowhere. Got my car in Oklahoma and we drove to Washington, D.C. And we got a room at the Marriott over in Virginia, which was $8 a night. And they had drive-in registration. This was the new thing. You didn't have to get out of your car. We went over to the Washington Hilton next day and I got a job as a banquet waiter. I'd never been in a hotel. I knew nothing about the hotel business. God knows why they hired me, but they did. I was lucky. A guy took me by the hand and started teaching me the business, a real professional from Germany. And uh, he somehow liked me and started showing me and I was totally intimidated. All these professional people. I'd never seen a linen napkin before. I said, I knew we had, my grandmother had some, but we never used them. Yeah. And I slowly learned the business. So I was a waiter for about two years. And then I got into a management training program. And I tell everybody, the main reason I got in there is because I have a good attitude. And when you don't have a college degree, having a good attitude helps a lot. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And I'm very organized, very disciplined. I really have an ability to keep my promises and do things. And uh, I think uh, bosses like both of those things. And so I got in that. I met my wife at the hotel. We've been married 53 years. And she said she's going to stay. So I know I'm doing better. I stayed there for Washington Hilton for a few couple of years. And then I got transferred to the Conrad Hilton in Chicago, a big hotel there. I spent about a year and a half there. We had a baby. We moved to New York. I got transferred there to the Waldorf Astoria. We lived in Queens and almost starved to death Why? I had to look really professional when I went in every day. So I remember my wife, I gave her $5 every morning. That was for everything. And that was for including getting my shirts done, which in those days was 35 cents to get your shirts done. And uh, so I had to really look good. Stayed there for about three years. And then I got promoted to assistant manager of a hotel for Hilton up in Terrytown, New York, by the Tappan Zee Bridge. And then from there, I went to Los Angeles as the head of food and beverage operations for the Los Angeles Hilton. There I had a boss. I was working six days a week. I hated him and he hated me. Took a job in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and doubled my salary. I was making $30,000 and I got fired after 90 days. Now, the scary part was I had a two-year-old, no job, a wife, a Volkswagen, and the sheriff confiscated our furniture because we broke the apartment lease. Now I don't have any furniture. I don't have any job. And it took me three months. I finally got a job with Marriott. 
I stayed at Marriott 17 years, became the vice president of food and beverage operations uh, for the planning department of that worldwide because I had specialized in food and beverage. I became really an expert in it. I've been in accounting, I've been a waiter, I've been a cook, I've done all these things. And people eventually don't worry about whether you have a degree. It's when your performance was really good. It's amazing. I stayed with Marriott for 17 years and I got recruited by Disney in 1990 to go to France and open all the restaurants there. And my wife made me go because she wanted to live in France. Part of didn't tell you is when I met her, she had a French boyfriend. Took about a year to get rid of him. It was hard. She liked him a lot, but we got him out of the picture. We lived in France for three years, and then I was asked to come to Orlando. I'd never worked in Orlando before to be the head of the hotel division there. And I did that for two years, and then I was promoted to all operations at Walt Disney World for, and I did that for about 10 years. People always ask me, did, what goals did you have? I didn't have any. <laughs> My only goal was to not get people to figure out I didn't know what I was doing. Then I figured out nobody in the world knows what they're doing. So I was in good company. So I just got smarter and better and better and better. And I really became a good administrator. I became a good manager. It took me a few years before I started to understand that I needed to also be a good leader. I could get things done, but I left a lot of bodies in the early days. My uh, nickname was was Doberman, which is now today I'm a Cocker Spaniel. So I've really gotten better. So that's, that's how I did. I fell into it. I liked it. I guess that was the reason I stuck with it. I liked it. It was fun. You know, especially when you're 20 and you're working in a hotel and after you get off work, everybody goes out together. And <laughs> hotels are, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in hotels. 20, you have a lot of fun. So that's how I did it. I'm glad I did it. And actually, my grandson is leaving Friday for France to go to the Institut Paul Bocuse in Lyon, France. He's going to go in the hotel business. And uh, <laughs> his middle name is Lee. So uh, we're on the right track. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So Lee, you brought up there about, you know, not having a college degree and, you know, college not being right for you and just moving on and developing your career in spite of that. And, you know, I, I think that's a really good point there. So I, I've known several people in my life. I do have a college degree, you know, and a lot of people do, but some people don't and they're very successful. And, you know, some people whose college isn't right for them studying or tests. They're not, they're not good at tests. I've known people that are engineers that, you know, technically they're in careers that require quote unquote, require college degrees, but they kind of find their way in like you did into these management roles or engineering roles or whatnot without a college degree. And they are successful. And why? Just like it's the same thing with them as it is with you. And I love it. It's along the lines of the mission of our podcast, positive attitude, positive attitude is your, it can be a huge secret to success. So it really is. It is probably the most important thing, actually. Nice. Yeah, it's just, it's fascinating how exciting of a life you had just from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up on a farm, you learn a lot. I mean, you work. I mean, I had to milk a cow when I was in third grade every morning. I had white overalls on, sold it to the neighbors across the street. We sat on a hay, hay baler every summer on our grandfather's farm and baled that hay and put it away. We didn't call it work. We didn't know you had a choice. It was just what you do on a farm. Everybody's got something to do and you got to do it. And you got to do it every day. You got to be reliable. I think that helped my time management. You got to do what you say you're going to do. You know, the cows don't enjoy you missing the milking. <laughs> They're kind of ready to get rid of that load. There's a, it's a whole different life. There's a lot of discipline around it because uh, 
that's your livestock and you've got to do it. I never thought about it like that until I got into business that probably that's where I learned a lot of my discipline was that uh, it started early in my life that that's just what you do. Well, yeah, because like you said, it's not, it wasn't a job. It was expected of you because as a farmer, you know, you were expected to take care of the cows and, you know, if you didn't take care of them, then I'm sure you weren't able to sell the milk to help provide for the family. Then. That's That was our only income was the, the, the that dairy. Now, I didn't understand that. I had no idea how much milk we sold. Or It was good lessons. And dealing with uh, animals is a whole different ballgame in life. Actually, they behave better than humans. Yes. <laughs> I prefer. I think I, I'd rather have a dog than most of the people I have to work with sometimes. I can relate to that. <laughs> they're, they're more trainable and they like you. They like you. Or loyal and love. <laughs> yeah, they more their they, unconditional love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you, I, you know, y'all were talking about being afraid of things. And I think growing up on a farm, you're not afraid of too many things because you've seen it all. I had a skunk that sprayed me. I had, had snakes. We had, you name it, out there in, the, in Oklahoma. On the, I mean, it was like... These are all natural things that would come creeping around. Yeah. So Lee, why don't we start with some questions about you uh, in the theme park industry. So what was your first theme park attraction that you remember experiencing? Probably, I most of them were maybe, I spent a lot of time in Fantasyland because I had three little grandchildren. Buzz Lightyear was one that these kids just, like we couldn't get enough of it. We had to do it over and over and over and over again. So that was fun. And that was one where they had competition. You, you know, you could shoot the gun and make points and they liked to beat me. And uh, it was just, and we'd do it over and over. So I think that was one, you know, sometimes it's where, who you're with that, uh, you know, and then when my granddaughter was with us, we had to go shopping a lot in Fantasyland and buy pink things and meet the princesses. <laughs> She was really happy to see the princesses, but when we met them, she couldn't speak. She was so nervous. <laughs> so, <laughs> Starstruck. Know, those are all things I think about. Uh, Tower of Terror, you know, my grandson wouldn't go on it. He was terrified until they had a birthday party there and his friends uh, kind of shamed him into going. And then he loved it. And the rock and roller coaster, I think, is one that I really loved because of the how quickly it took off the projection. It was one minute of terror. Yeah, some of those. And I, I didn't know much about theme parks before I joined Disney. We went to Disneyland in 1973 when our son was two years old. Frankly, over the years, we were struggling financially. We, my wife, I saw somebody post today, how many houses have you lived in? It said the average person lives in, I don't know, somebody said five or six or seven. I've lived in 25 different houses. Wow. We moved 11 times in my career uh, and we liked everywhere we went. I mean, we lived in Chicago and Paris and I mean, what's not to like? My wife, that's probably half the battle. She's a saint. She goes and she, her dad was an admiral in the Navy. So she moved, I think she's moved 25 times, 12 with him and 11 with me. So we can get out of town pretty quick if things get bad. <laughs> so Lee, you were executive vice president in charge of operations at Disney World, right? Yeah. What what year did you start in that role? I started in, I was a head of operations from 93 to 97 and 97 to 06. I was in that role. Yeah. I see. Well, Lee, so what's the one theme park attraction in your life that scared you the most? You know, not so much any attraction scared me. You know what dubious about was going down those slides at Blizzard Beach. I just had this uh, feeling of flying out of the thing and not being 
stopped. I'd never done that before, and but I had to do it because everybody was watching me. You're in charge, you have to take your life in your own hands, I think, sometimes to prove it. But the actual attractions, not so much. I must say, the first time Rock and Roll Cup, when it took off, I was going, wow, wow. <laughs> there was, I had no idea that it could uh, accelerate at that speed. I tried to go around and do every one of them at least once. Grandkids became more brave than me, so I couldn't be chicken in front of them. So I had to do some things like <laughs> And my wife doesn't want to go on any of that stuff. But I'm with you. I, you know, heights, I don't particularly care for either. And I guess it's, you know, everything's hard before it's easy. Once you get used to anything, it's like public right. speaking. When I, I was terrified of public speaking when I was second year of college. And the uh, professor said, you got to give a speech tomorrow. And I went over to administration and dropped the course. I couldn't do it. I mean, I was totally terrified. Now today I make a living doing it. You just got to push yourself through it sometimes. And if it's hard, you probably ought to do it. Get over it. And that's hard. It's easy to say that. Just go ahead and do it. But And things that make me more scared is like if somebody said, pick up that snake, it won't bite you. I was there. I don't think so. <laughs> You know, or a, a dog that's chained up. I don't. So it sounds like the the water slides at Blizzard Beach, they were kind of the scared you the most of any kind of like a theme park or park type attraction. Yeah, I've never done that one up to the top and the top and the top and the top. And now it's your turn to go. Are you and talking that, about the, uh, I forget the name of it, but the one that's the tall one that's really steep? Okay, yeah. that's that's intense. A lot of people get up to some of those and can't do it. They have to go back down. Like they can't bring themselves to to do that. I mean, there's a lot of people get off rides at Disney too. When they get on, they make a decision. No, I can't do this. Let me off here. Well, look at David, you know, he did that. How long for California screaming? He finally got the courage to ride it. So, I mean, he chickened out how how many times? What do you think drove him to finally say yes? I think peer pressure, psychology and so forth. People, we are resistant to change. And, you know, but sometimes we have those moments, those fleeting moments. What really led me to finally do it is my best friend friend challenged me when him and I were there that weekend. And I said, good luck. You're not going to get me on that thing. And he goes, what is so wrong with that coaster that you're afraid to get on? And I said, um, that loop is what scares me the most and how it launches. I go, I've never been on a coaster that launches that fast. The steep hills I see on the coaster. He turned around and he said, well, I challenge you to do it. Well, what was running through my mind was I went through a very difficult year. I had, I've had a lot of challenges hit my life up to that year. I felt like I needed to let something out, but I wanted to do it in a healthy way. And I thought, well, screaming it out on a coaster is a healthy way to let out frustrations and pressures and stuff that you have built up that you've had built up in your whole life. What do I got to lose? So I was like, I was just ready. I was like, you know what? Challenge accepted. Let's go. And he put me on the the back train of that coaster, which after getting on that, I was nervous. I mean, I was shaking. I was sweating. We're in the launch path of California screaming and we got delayed on that platform because we didn't launch right away. So we're sitting there for a little bit. And you know, that anticipation when you're sitting there waiting, you're like, can we get going already? I'm waiting for Neil Patrick Harris to start the countdown. And then all of a sudden he did the countdown unexpected and we took off and I screamed like the little girl, panicked on the drops. Um, I closed my eyes during the loop. But when I got off that ride, I put my arm around my best friend's neck. He thought I was going to choke him to death. And I said, let's 
do it again. And we wrote it three times. So it wasn't really peer pressure. At a point in my life, I was like, I was tired of being afraid. I was tired of all the stress and pressures I had on me. And I guess it just, there comes a time in your life, you're like, you know what, why am I going through this? It's time to start doing something bold. And it's time to push yourself to do a little more. And I was just ready to just, let's do this. And I'm glad I made that choice because it really changed my life to where we are all right here right now doing this podcast. So yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe that rush, the adrenaline went to your brain and made a permanent change. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that happens, you know, and as you talk about anxiety, anxiety and depression are at an all time high around the world right now in America. Yep. And you see this happening. People are, don't even want to go outside. They don't want to go to the grocery store. They don't want to do anything. And they, people have really gotten stuck in their own minds about some danger that's probably not really there. And, uh, and I think a lot of encouragement needed often to get people to come to reality. That's uh, interesting psychologically. I mean that. The other thing I think I'll tell you is that in my life, I've gone through depression three times in my life. And, and I will tell you, depression is a very powerful thing. There's a time where I was in total shutdown. I stayed in bed for like two days and I just did not want to get up because I was going through a very difficult challenge, personal problem with family. It was powerful. And I don't know, I cannot explain it, but I was able to pick myself back up and say, this is not you. You are better than this. And I was just thinking back to my Boy Scout training and all the stuff, all the mentors that I've had in my life, friends that have come and been very supportive, but I will say depression comes and goes. I'll be depressed for a period of time. And then all of a sudden my spirits are back up and I'm back up and I'm going again. And then all of a sudden you sink back down into this depression. So it's like a roller coaster. It's like up and down, up and down. So it's like, it's an endless battle for those out there that are suffering depression that you just got to keep positive and you just got to think of the positive things and just not think of the negative stuff that I guess that's been my treatment is that I just think positive and just going to the theme parks, riding roller coasters, going, being with friends like Iva and Andrew. And I've got so many coaster enthusiast friends now all over the country that I'm thanking them so much for their friendship. That's what's been helping me move forward. And doing this mission, doing this podcast has given me something in life. Like I want to leave a mark in this world. This is what I'm going to do. I believe that we get reports while I was at Disney of people who, uh, children who are autistic, their parents would tell us and we kept records and sent them to the National Institute of Health. Every time they came to Disney, their son got better. We had a family that sold their home in New York, moved to Orlando. Every time, and the one ride was the music and the sounds. It was uh, Jungle Cruise. She said every time he rode that, he got better. And then actually spoke one day. And I don't wow. know what it is. We see that happen fairly frequently. You know, give kids the world. 80% of kids who are terminally ill want to go to Disney. A bunch of them survive. This adrenaline thing that something happens. And uh, oh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, the stories I've heard over the years of, uh, and I'm sure it's everything the music, the lights, the fantasy. The... Ellie, let's get back to you were talking about how you were afraid of the water slide at Blizzard Beach, which it's actually called some plummet it's 12 stories high and how were you how were you feeling as you were approaching the top of that slide i was trying to look composed because everybody was watching me which was even more pressure maybe if nobody i knew had been there it might not have been as bad but i probably wouldn't even go on i would have gone back down the ladder and i was in charge of operations and so yeah i'm thinking okay 
I knew I had to do it no matter, even if I was going to die, I would have had to go ahead and do it. <laughs> you know? I mean, that, there was no turning back because, you know, ego and not being wanting to be embarrassed and uh, especially in those jobs. So it uh, seemed like something could go wrong. And I think the problem is, and I, I've kind of learned this to understand your brain lies to you. Things are 99% of the problems you worry about are never going to happen, but your brain lies to you for many reasons. Maybe something happened when you were a little kid and it's stored up there, or maybe, who knows, you're being programmed your whole life and something triggers. So yeah, Lee, what you mentioned about the brain, 99% of the time, it's telling us things that aren't going to happen and aren't true. And mental illness is the most common illness on this planet, not the common cold, even though it's called the common cold. Mental illness is the most common thing. The fight or flight mechanism is what you're talking about there with the, with the brain and the natural thing to do again just like i said earlier the natural thing for humans is to resist change by resisting change you're you're sticking with what you're used to which you more or less know the outcome of that well, with fight or flight in general you know i think it starts i think it's an instinctive thing with human beings going back thousands of years to the caveman days where they're where we didn't have you know, shelter and guns and weapons. We, you know, but there were a lot of wild animals out there, even scarier ones we have now, you know, a lot of them gone extinct. And so human beings were much less likely to survive and much shorter lives back then as well, also with illnesses and so forth. So I think we were been programmed, you know, genetically thousands of years ago to run away. And so, you know, in the modern world where we can be a lot safer for the most part, we can choose to fight and have usually more enriched lives, but it's not natural, you know, and, and that's, what this podcast is all about the you know how to fight how we are naturally and how we tend to be and we tend to you know fear to let consume us and depression and anxiety and our mission and you know we talk to you know smart people like you that have been through a lot in their lives as, as i was going through the interview with you here uh, you know to try to give people tips each person has a different idea of how we can choose fight over flight but what's really interesting though is you know you said that you were scared of summit plummet but yet you were in control of going on it. You did not have to go drop 12 stories high. You chose to do that. So you were very much in control. Uh, probably somebody like you talked me into something I didn't want to be talking to. <laughs> I know more about it now. I, and you know, the one thing I worry about, maybe David does too. Uh, I know I'm susceptible to it. I have to agree with you, Lee. I just turned 40 this year in May. It's funny because I started looking back like past life, like how I've been doing where, where I'm at today. But I also think a lot about the future. You know, my parents are up in age and I sit there wondering like, how much time do I have left with them? Are there things that I need to do to make sure I spend as much time with my mom and dad? Uh, mm -hmm. I have nieces and nephews. They're getting older. I mean, my gosh, my, my twin nephews are now in middle school and my youngest nieces started kindergarten. And I was like, oh my God, time is really flying. And then I'm sitting there looking like, what else do I need to do in my life? What What's on my bucket list to accomplish? Since heights have been brought up quite well and Andrew and I even know where I'm going to. So like I said, <laughs> I did something big for my 40th birthday just to show how much roller coasters and theme parks have changed me i kicked off my 40th birthday jumping off the stratosphere doing the sky jump and uh, 
Yeah. And that was an <laughs> better man. Yeah. Well, there, you, you know, it's the same old story. Everybody finds a way to get through uh, the obstacles in their life. You know, I talk about obstacles. That's even when we hire people, we're looking for people who can handle obstacles because that's all you deal with from the time you wake up to your 24 hours a day, you have obstacles being disappointed, people not doing what they're, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, dealing with that and getting used to they're going to come whether you like it or not and 9-11 was a big one recessions are big ones people getting laid off never ends david's right the more you face up to it the easier it is to work your way through them but he said the other day one thing about life it just keeps going <laughs> it just yep. went along it doesn't care what happens to you yeah it just keeps on going I think the worst thing is when life throws you an obstacle and you're not expecting it, like when you're on vacation at Walt Disney World. And that's why you have such wonderfully trained people that you hired to help people along with their issues that have suddenly come up. Want to know the secret to Disney? Yeah, sure. Yeah. There's three things Disney does better. And I say my my new uh, jingle is hire them right. Train them right and treat them right. They will perform. And that, if everybody could start to learn that, hire people right, get the right people with the right attitude, passion, and attitude, and then train them so they really self don't have any confidence problems. They go out and do their job and then treat them right. Nobody's going to be committed to you unless you treat them right. One thing I've learned is there's no upside to not treating people right. There's no upside. You lose every time you try to demean somebody, yell at them, make raise their voice. And that's all insecurity. People who are insecure do that. And that's a good lesson for all of us that, uh, why are you doing this? <laughs> There's no upside. <laughs> you know, treat people well. Don't treat them badly. And we could all be nicer. All of us. Agreed. Yeah. Very much agreed. My granddaughter told me that, by the way. I said, what's the most important thing in service? I was writing a book, The Customer Rules. She said, well, Pappy, the first rule is be nice. Kind of, uh, it's true. Just be nice. Kindness goes a long way. Yep. <laughs> it does. Now, obviously, when you started working at Walt Disney World, that was the first time you'd really been in a theme park setting, Lee. So how have theme parks had a significant positive impact on you in any way? The major impact it had is I learned how important it was to all of our guests. I mean, we have guests, grandparents, parents, kids coming together uh, over every three years. The average guest comes to Disney with their family. The ones that come have been there before. 80% of the people every day have been there before. It's an amazing thing to watch. I mean, my favorite thing to do is go out and just watch people watching the parade, the excitement. You know, those are the kinds of things that uh, I had no idea. People got so committed. A lot of special things happen. A lot of tears, a lot of laughing. They want that again. We all want that. When when my father passed away several years ago, the one place that I actually went right up to was I live an hour and 20 minutes away from Cedar Point. And I escaped my feelings by surrounding myself with all the positivity that other families were enjoying their day at Cedar Point. And I bawled like a baby that day. Well, people tell us they go to Disney just to be around people. Sometimes they don't ride anything. They just go in the park and they sit, watch and have lunch. And and, uh, I think that's true. Same old story. People want to be with people. I've gone to the parks and not gone on a single ride. Have you been able to experience all the Walt Disney World attractions in Lee when you were managing the park? Oh yeah, I spent about, I scheduled four or five hours a week to be in the park. One week I did Magic Kingdom for four or five hours and then the next week so that I could, uh, and I took my grandkids so that I could experience it with them because they were little. 
like they told me that children's meals were terrible. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody has a different perspective from women, kids. To learn those is really important because uh, if the kids are happy, the parents are happy. I had one guy said, I hate Disney. I said, well, he was from New York. I said, why? He said, I don't like these lines and lines, but if my kids are happy when we leave, I'm happy. I got it. You know, I got it. Yeah. Now, with you being in the theme park industry all that time, I'm sure you have a crazy moment that you can share with us. I have probably a few. I had a guy who called me one day and said, he told me the monorail is down. I can't believe you haven't done anything about it. And I, I couldn't believe I what? And I got on the phone and I, and I called and I said, I'll call you right back. And the monorail was running. I called him back and I said, I just checked and it's running. He said, no, I don't mean the monorail you get on. I mean those, that monorail you buy in a box. I bought one for my grandson, took it to Germany where he's living with his parents and the thing doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, this went off. And he said, then I called the, the number where you call when you got a problem at Disney. And the voicemail said, we're not open right now. We've gone to lunch. A lot of things changed after I dealt with him. We don't go to lunch anymore. We have somebody answer the phone no matter when. But I learned so much because the guest was not happy. 9-11 was probably my proudest day, even though it was the worst day. I, we evacuated those parks in 90 minutes. We had everybody back to their resorts. We evacuated 75,000 people. We, uh, we gave them free phone calls around the world. We uh, gave them free rooms because a lot of them had, couldn't leave. Uh, we, uh, a lot of them's credit cards were maxed out. We took care of their meals. We spent a few million that day and everybody came back in the morning. We had a system for returning. We still get comments about that. At that point, there's nothing I could do. We had done a good job training, hiring people. They all stepped up, did their job. You know, you talk about your cast members rising to the occasion. When times are at their worst, people oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes are at their best. And in 9-11, that's what we saw, this tragedy. Awful. The worst terrorist attack in the history of mankind. And what came out of it, there were some amazing things that came out of it people just doing things, your cast members, just, they hadn't dealt with that before. And look at how they rose to the occasion. Lee, tell me something, aside from 9-11, talk about some of the challenges you faced, you know, in, in management there in the theme park industry, working at Disney World as you worked your way up. Yeah, so people ask me, what was the hardest thing you had to do at Disney? I said, the hardest thing is getting, at that time, 50,000 people to behave and uh, be ethical and honest and not tell inappropriate jokes and, uh, you know, bigotry and racism that we, you know, I don't know if you are, but I would, would say to the cast members, but you better be keep quiet because that's not the kind of place we have. And, and people misbehave and get in trouble. It's always people problems. It's always people issues. You know, the rides are no big deal. You fix them and they go again. People, I mean, it's a, uh, I tell everybody I work with today, you're, you'll never, technicalities are not going to be your problem. It's the people who are going to disappoint you or not show up and not do what they're supposed to do. People who are stealing from you and people, I mean, all these things, that was the making sure everybody didn't think they were a big deal who were in leadership jobs. I put in one of my books, when you become a big deal, don't. Nobody wants to go around being a big deal. And there's a lot of CEOs, a lot of high level management today around there. They think they're hot stuff. 
And once you think you are hot stuff, you're on the, on the head, you're heading downhill. So you're the only one that thinks that. Those are the kind of things, attitude, culture, treating people right, making sure that we kept reinforcing that all the time, that everybody matters here. Everybody's got an opportunity to get ahead. I don't care if you speak English or not. In five years, you will, because we give professors there to teach you and you'll be a manager. Uh, those kind of, you know, the culture is the name of the game. And that's why the guests love coming here is because everybody takes care of them. Like no matter what, that, that was the issue. And, and our cast does an incredible job. They do. They, they do. know they're putting on a show. It's a Broadway hit show every single day. And even if they had an argument with their boyfriend or they don't feel well, they still come in they go on stage and they do their job. We talk about professionalism. And it's something you got to decide what you're going to be, not just right. what you're going to do. You gotta, are you going to be that person? Are you going to be the right. person who can do that? And it's, yeah. it's hard staying yeah. in the role all day. Right, right. It's tiring, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Lee, one of the things you mentioned there may seem insignificant. It relates to customer service. What we're talking about here is, is what Disney providing amazing customer service. And again, you were a manager there leading the whole operations for years at the at the world's largest theme park resort and Disney's largest, of course, here at Walt Disney World. Yeah. So I was wondering if that was related to your leadership consulting. But yeah, yeah. No, but the point is anybody can do it if you want to. If you yeah. want to, right. Hire the right. right people, train the right people and treat the people. And, you know, one of the things I talk about today is one of the problems that happens out in business is you got to be more clear with your expectation for attitude right. and performance. The biggest problem we have in life is not being clear. There's a misunderstanding. I didn't, you didn't say that. Clarity. And you know who's the most clear people in the world? Mothers are clear. Yeah. <laughs> they, use, they use empathy and discipline and they'll use them both on you because they care about you. Right. I said, anytime you're in doubt, just manage like a mother. Yeah, because they know they have to take charge and they've got their kids to, you know, keep take care of and protect from. Yeah, I've got a couple more questions to ask you. So tell me about your favorite moment working in the theme park industry. Picture what that was, or pinpoint what that was. You have a lot of the same sessions. So I would say one was when we lowered the flag. There was a gentleman picked to be the person that day as we lowered the flag and we gave it to him. And his daughter told me, she said, did you see what he did? And I said, no. She said, he's got many scars on his head from being in war. And she said, this is the first time I've ever seen him in his life take his hat off. You know, as they brought it down, played the music. Right. Those are the kind of things that you just don't think about. Those kind wow. of are, you don't forget them. And you don't run into those kind of moments. Like no, that's a very special moment. That's awesome. And we did it for many veterans coming back. It was really an amazing way to recognize them. And they were so proud of them. putting them in the parade. The family, you just, you've just made their life nothing. You could do nothing more for them. They're so happy. People that's can awesome. really be happy at Disney. I mean, really happy. Even old grumpy people get happy there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's an amazing environment. They weren't happy when they got there and there. It is a Amen. special, it's a special medicine. It works. And you talk about psychology. I mean, it works. It's theme park therapy. It's what it's like theme park therapists, we call it. So the last main question I'd like to ask you here, Lee, and again, thank you for your time. Uh, the audience for our podcast, it's a very varied audience. We have people all over the country, all over the world listening. But we do know that we have a number of uh, fans of our mission and listeners of this podcast that are younger uh, coaster enthusiasts and theme park enthusiasts. We're talking teenagers and even, even younger. They, a lot of them, are interested in getting into the field, like yourself, working in 
and the theme park industry like you did for years. And I know that you have, of course, your your own consulting business and, and so forth, leadership and like the Disney Great Leadership Strategy Program. How do you think that program could help, say, these younger people that are these listeners that are real big fans of theme parks and roller coasters? And how do you think it could help them get into the industry and work in the industry? I get the best education you can, even though if it's you do it yourself, be really love it and get interested in it. One lady told me I want to work for Disney. I said, well, move to Orlando <laughs> and uh, <laughs> get your foot in the door, start getting experience, learn the business, be in it where you have guests, you have cast members and you have responsibility for profit and costs and that sort of thing. On the other hand, I tell them they ought to listen to my podcast. They're free. There's 400 episodes on there. And we talk about everything, customer service, leadership, management, culture. We talk about anxiety, depression. We talk about obstacles you're going to run into, how to overcome them. They ought to listen to one every day and they will know more. That's what I tell you. You just got to know more if you want to be more. And you got to know more if you want to do more. And you got to apply yourself. And this is an easy way. Podcasts are really a strong way to learn. I mean, oh, yeah. they're a big oh, part yeah. of what's going on in the world for corporate communication. I would say they need to, to get into it, start learning, listening. If they want to go to school later and get a business degree or something, I start learning everything you can. Just start putting it away. That's how I got ahead, basically. When I started going to seminars and I started listening to tapes back then, cassette tapes, and uh, reading and uh, getting different experiences. So when I was a waiter, I also worked in outside catering. Then I got in a French restaurant. And then I got into the accounting department. I made $80 a week. It paid nothing. That's why I had to work as a waiter at night. Let me tell you, get the experience. Right. People today, 16-year-olds ought to be working, learning how to be on time to work, work with other people, get along, be flexible. I, college kids ask me, how can I have a great career like you did yet? And I said, well, main thing is you got to be better than everybody else. When you go right. to work, you got to stand out. You got to be there, raise your hand when they want something. They want you to work overnight, two shifts. Yeah, no problem. It's not that hard. A lot of people are not even trying. It's not hard to be great, but you got to want to be great. You have to have the desire, the ambition. Absolutely. They, but will, yes. they will do fine. This, this right. industry is going to just continue to skyrocket. People are going on vacations. It's got an unlimited potential for somebody to have a nice career. You know, Lee, obviously you have had so much life experience and, and, and not only so much life experience, but so much experience in this industry that we all love so much in the theme park industry. You, you admitted yourself that you weren't a great leader to begin with and made some mistakes, but you learned from those mistakes and became a great leader to the point where you're teaching people how to be leaders now here in your, in your retirement. But if you could share with our listeners uh, how they can find your podcast, your website, any social media might have where they can learn more from you. If they just go to my website, leecockerel.com, everything's there. They can uh, look at my Cockrell Academy, which is now we've developed for creating courses for universities online. Eight courses on there from time management to customer service to leadership to how to make better decisions. Uh, my podcast is on there. You can just go right there and start listening to them. So uh, it's very popular. We're about to hit 3 million downloads any day. And uh, wow. you have no excuse today, young people, for not knowing something you want to know. You either listen to a podcast or you go on Google. If you yep. don't know something and five minutes later you don't know, that would be your fault. What we don't know is amazing. Yep. Once you get an appetite for learning, 
learning. There, there's newspaper news articles out there every day about management, about leadership, about it's unlimited. You don't have nice. to carry your Encyclopedia Britannica around with you because you awesome. can learn and you can become an expert in something fairly quickly. Yeah. And self-taught. Yeah. Why I say I'm an expert in time management, I say because I know more about it than you do. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, it Go sounds it. like it. Go get it. It's at your fingertips. It sounds like a good place for people to start. You know, along the lines of the internet is. Is as, as you said, your website and your podcast is there. Lee, it's been a great conversation. Ivan and I really appreciate talking to us today, taking the time to talk to us and, and share with our listeners your stories of how you rose up into the theme parks and worked for you know, the, the most renowned theme park organization and company in the world, the, the, you know, the Disney parks are incredible. And um, Walt Disney World is the, is the, you know, the king of them as, you know, size wise, you know, thank you so much for your time. And for David, by the way, what we just did is uplifting. That's why I can really help people that are get online, talk to people. I mean, it's what, if we were together, great, but this works. And yep, I'm glad yep. to see all of us depressed people are better tonight. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Amen to that. Yeah. And let's, uh, anytime you need help or talk to somebody, I talk to a few people and I say, call me and we talk it talk. It just makes you feel better. You got to find people to talk to and don't be afraid to talk about it. When you let everybody know what you're going through, it's even easier. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to act like everything's great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I'll, yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Lee. Appreciate it. Thank you again, Lee, for your time. Thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Iva. And thank you, Lee. Lee, that was such an incredible story. Wouldn't you say, Jen? It's not just incredible, but it's inspirational. And that's what a lot of Disney is, is it's inspiration for people that don't get that inspiration. Yeah. And I think that he really did kind of take what Walt Disney himself was trying to implement in his company. And he took that and he like ran with it yeah i would have to say that he really like really showed to me that in order in order to help people you gotta in order to lead people you gotta help people so basically you need to be in the front lines and do what regular people do on a regular basis before you can lead people i just think that that's just a good philosophy because there's a lot of people out there they just go straight into leadership and then like you said they become a doberman and i guess in this philosophy you need to become a cocker spaniel like lee said because you got to be open-minded you've got to get to know people not just get to know your customers but get to know your workers if you get to know them you build a relationship with them you earn their trust then they will come and tell you the truth like you said it's, it's just common sense to me i mean what about your thoughts for me it's more of if you get to know your your employees you create a better work environment because then it's showing like whoever the head person is is taking that initiative to sit there and say hi i know your name i know who you are i know what your background is i know what your inspirations are what can i do to help you versus the i don't have time for this we're not friends we're not nothing you're my employee and that's it yeah and i know especially out people are out there listening i know that we have all in our lives whatever jobs or careers we have gone through i guarantee you we have all have ran into somebody out there somebody who's a supervisor manager even a business owner they have that can't do attitude and they just act like you're just a worker you don't matter i'm paying you to do a job just do it my philosophy and as a business owner i'm also a manager i've been an hr manager for many years is that you like i said you have to have that relationship with your employees you got to make it a family environment where you feel like they belong there are many employees do this 
this too, like especially in the retail sector. It's like there's like people in depending on the store or company you work for. I remember one time I worked for a retailer. A lot of the employees in the store they just didn't make me feel welcome. They make me feel like I was welcome into their store to work. And I think this is mainly because I was a hard worker. You know, I was paid to do a job and I would go above and beyond and just do the job. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing absolutely wrong of being able to go above and beyond and just show people you love your job. I just there's just people out there that don't get that and so they would rather try to tear you down to their level so that way you don't shine. You don't stand out with management. What I found was that management just never really encouraged anything. They never said like you are important. You are, you know, the backbone of this. If we didn't have you, this business wouldn't survive. They kind of had that attitude of, you can be replaced. There's somebody else out there that can replace you. And it's like, that's the wrong attitude. Like if you're wanting a business to succeed for as long as it can, your attitude has to change with, it's you're replaceable. It's you matter. You are what brings us our customers. You're the ones that are in the front lines greeting our customers every day. And to have the attitude of like, ah, you can be replaced. That is the wrong attitude. Exactly. And I I've seen that time and time again throughout my work history. I've been in retail, I've been in caregiving, I work in the school district. It's always kind of comes around to the same thing of like you get into a company or anything and it's just like nobody wants to take the time to really show you around or to explain anything. It's just like here yeah, you go. Exactly. Okay, goodbye. Yeah. And it's like what what where's my training? What 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 am I supposed to be doing? And they don't want to take the time. Exactly. I would tell anybody out there who's listening right now, if you know somebody who has a can't-do attitude, I highly advise you to share with them this episode because they need to hear Lee's speech. In fact, his highlight clip that we did in the episode, it will be in our show notes down below where you can be able to click the YouTube link of Lee's speech. And then I would recommend you guys to share that to other leaders out there because they really need to hear Lee's philosophy of leadership. It's just, I think more and more people just need to hear that and listen and hopefully learn from it too in the long run. Well guys, I can just say, I cannot tell you how much I really appreciate you guys taking the time this season to listen to all our episodes it's been one heck of a season on behalf of the entire coaster challenge podcast team i can't thank you enough for your love and support this first season we just got an incredible second season coming up in april right jen it's been a roller coaster of a season i can't wait to see what next season brings us oh we've got a lot of exciting vip guests we've got wow we've already already got interviews already done and we're already going to be getting season two rolling here guys but yes we are going to take a small little spring break but uh, we are going to be doing a very special anniversary episode on April 8th so you guys might want to tune into that also if you're on our social media pages we just did a post that we're asking people if you have questions for the entire podcast team we would love to answer them in that anniversary special but we're going to have everybody all together on that day discuss and do highlights of season 
fun and uh, talk about the good times, the bad times, the craziest times, and some of the best moments of season one. We hope you'll tune in. But first, if you guys aren't on our social media feeds to catch the questions, Justin, how can they find us on social media? If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to see more from us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. And yes, guys, don't forget to hit the subscribe buttons on all our social media feeds and make sure to give us a thumbs up and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast network, especially if you are an Apple podcast user. We really would appreciate you guys to leave us a review. That's pretty much it for season one. Cannot thank you guys enough, you know, but you know what? Season two is around the corner. Till then, this is David Cantu. This is Jenna Gazelle. Thank you guys so much for helping us have an incredible first season. We will see you in season two right here on Coaster Challenge. Woohoo!